1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. You know, brothers, <clears throat> that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You, you know we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other, each of you, as a, a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into the, his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bryce. Now, a few weeks ago when I had the privilege to share and open up the word of God here, we looked at 1 Thessalonians, and then a few weeks ago, we considered what type of church we should be, and that is we are to be a gospel church. Now today and over the next few weeks, we will be continuing 1 Thessalonians, so you can read ahead, but today we will be getting a lot more personal. Last time we considered the church as a whole, today we'll be getting a lot more personal, thinking about each one of us individually. Uh, so in our morning service, we'll be working through 1 Thessalonians. In the evening, we'll make our way through Romans, and we'll finish both those series at about the same time. But as we look at this passage, we must believe that this is the living Word of God, and we must expect to be changed by it. And so let's, let's come again and ask that God would do that in our lives. Let's join in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you still speak to us today. And we pray that as we hear you speak, that you will speak into our lives, that you will correct us, train us, mould us, and encourage us, that our lives will reflect more and more of the life of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we will be getting a whole lot more personal today as we consider this text from 1 Thessalonians. And we will be asking ourselves big questions, huge questions. And questions are, I think, sometimes we're afraid of asking ourselves. And they are these. Questions like this. Am I worthy of God? It's a frightening question. Does my life stack up to the life that God has called me to? That's a frightening question to ask. 
does my life stack up to, to the, the standard of godliness and holiness and righteousness that is demanded of all Christians? And that's a frightening question to ask ourselves. Does it stack up? But as frightening as these questions are, and they do sound so intrusive and invasive, I mean, who cares? What, what has that got to do with anyone? But you see, as Christians, we can't say that because for Christians, our lives, every one of us, our lives must always come under review, under critique, under challenge, under the encouragement of the Word of God. And so the question we'll be asking each other and asking ourselves this morning is, does my life stack up to the standard that God wants? Is my life worthy of God? Now, just imagine this. How might we do this test? Well, imagine this. Now, this won't happen, I can assure you. But just imagine that this morning, as you were getting ready in your household, the kids aren't yet ready and you're running a bit late, now you're getting a bit frustrated and impatient. You're there screaming at the kids. And just imagine I was there watching you. Now, obviously I wasn't there, but just imagine that. Or on the way to church in the car. Whatever you were doing, however you're driving, whatever your character was like, imagine I was there in the back seat just watching you and observing you. And then some guy swerved in front of you without indicating, and you're there getting furious and frustrated. But I'm there in the backseat just watching you, just watching to see what you would do. And then as you entered into the church car park, and someone gets your car park, you parked in that spot for 10 years. And I'm just there observing to see what you would do. And as you came into this church, and someone sat in your pew, oh dear, the pew you kept warm for 20 years. And I'm just there watching, seeing how you will respond. Now, of course, that didn't happen. But will your life stack up? Is it worthy of God if I were to see it and observe it and to watch you? Or what about the flip side? Flip it around. Let's just say you were watching me this morning in our crazy household. You saw all I did and said. You observed everything in my household in my study, in, in my car, as we actually drove for about 30 seconds to get to church, you see everything. Will my life stack up? Is my life worthy of God? And so as I observe you and as, as you observe me, will we find in each other hypocrisy, inconsistency between what we believe and how we are to live? Or will we instead find genuine, sincere love, patience, humility that is consistent with what we believe? What will we see in each other? We see, that's the question we'll be exploring this morning. Because what we find in this passage is that the Apostle Paul himself, this is the Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he puts his own life under review. He allows his life to be scrutinized by the Christians he served. And so we see in this passage, did his life stack up? Were his convictions and his conduct consistent? Was his life worthy of God? And so let's have a look. 
Now, we will make our way through this passage, and the pattern is we always make our way with our Bibles open. So, so keep your Bibles open, and we'll make our way through verse by verse. This is how God speaks to us. Now, recall here, this was a few weeks ago now, what prompted Paul to write this letter in the first place, and it was to encourage this very young church that he planted. He only spent three weeks with them, so they're very young before he was chased out of the city. But since he left, there were some accusations that was laid against Paul. Perhaps they were thinking and saying, you know your leader Paul, the one who planted this church, his life just didn't stack up. He only came here to use you, to benefit from you. He was only really concerned for himself. And his life really just didn't stack up. But what did Paul say? Well, you see, Paul here, he was completely transparent. He had nothing to hide. His convictions were shaped by the gospel. He went to them because of the gospel. Because, you see, Paul the apostle, he was convinced this is the only message that can bring a dead sinner to salvation and hope of eternal life. The only message, and that is the message of Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross for them. And so for Paul... It didn't even matter that his life was on the line for proclaiming Christ. He was hated for it. It didn't faze him. He suffered for it, but it didn't stop him. And so he recalls that. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. He says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. That is, it was not empty of purpose. It achieved something. And then verse 2. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our Lord, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. And so Paul is making clear to them, my convictions are shaped by the gospel. I mean, why else would anyone put their life on the line, put their life in danger if the gospel could not save? Why would anyone do that? Well, Paul did it because he knew people will be saved by the message of Jesus. You see, it's the only, really the only logical reason why any missionary would go and do missionary work. If it doesn't save lives, why do it? Why put your life on the line? It's the only logical reason why. I've got a, a very good friend I studied with at Bible college, married two young kids younger than our kids. They were in the Middle East for a few years doing missionary work. They returned to Australia, and now they've gone back to another country in the Middle East. I mean, why would anyone do that? It's so much more comfortable here. You've got good health care and good education. But he's gone to this country where going to church means you have security guards outside. But he's going there. Why? Why put his life on the line? Because the gospel can save lives. They were willing to do it just as Paul was. Because the gospel saves. And so Paul is saying here to this church, to this church he was writing to, my life is consistent. I believe this. I'm living a life worthy of God. But now they say, well, Paul was really just in it for the money. He was in this business for his own reputation, his own praise, his own glory. He's only thinking about himself. He was on about making himself big. 
and important and getting a big head for it. But then how did Paul respond? Well, Paul said, well, God is my witness. God sees my heart. And so he defends himself here. Look at verses 3 to 6 now. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. You see, Paul is saying, I've, I've served you with a clear conscience before God. We proclaim the gospel with no ulterior motives. And then verse 4, he goes on. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And so he's saying, God is my judge and my witness in this. And then verse 5. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And so you see, Paul's opening up his life to be scrutinized. Did his life, did his convictions stack up? Did his life stack up? Well, it did. But of course, the sad fact is that not all Christian workers and Christian ministers are like that. It's not the case amongst all Christian leaders. You see, we would expect, and we should expect, all ministers, all missionaries, all pastors, all evangelists to always be proclaiming the gospel without any hidden agenda, with no ulterior motives, but with complete transparency. But of course, if we live long enough, we know that this is not always the case, and it is a terrible thing to see Christian leaders fail and fall. Now, many years ago as a younger Christian, I remember watching a TV evangelist up late one night, and it was shocking. He was trying to get his viewers on, on TV, trying to buy this little bag of what you call anointing oil. He, he said it would heal you, you know, call up, buy it, and it would heal you. Bags, it's probably just baby oil, or olive oil, whatever that is. But you see, that, that is not right. A gospel worker, a Christian worker, should not be doing such thing in for it for his own gain with some ulterior motive. Or another example. A few years ago, I attended a, a different church while I was up in Sydney. At the beginning of the service, lots of singing in this church, and, and it was okay. And then there was a collection for the offering. A mini-sermon was given why you should give, and you'll be blessed more if you give more. That was the nature of that little mini-sermon. And the guest preacher that, that evening was a guy from the States. After he gave his sermon, there was another collection that was taken up. I was surprised. I thought, you've already taken our collection. But it was called a love offering. Now, what a love offering is, is that it, it's collected from the church, but it goes directly to the speaker. That's a love offering to him. I mean, that night, he, he, at least uh, several thousand would have been raised. I mean, what a gig as a preacher. But I thought about it sitting there in that church. I mean, this is not right. This is not right. This is doing gospel work with some ulterior motive. You see, it's a danger, and that's why Paul is making clear he is transparent. It is a danger even for gospel workers, for ministers. That's why they even dared to accuse Paul of that. Now, personally, we know that it is a danger. 
in gospel work. We've been reminded this at Bible college, and we have, we've had, um, I've had wise ministers to remind me and to tell me. And so we've got our own principle of what we do in this area. Uh, a few years ago, a minister advised and, and gave some really wise wisdom. And this is the principle I continue to keep. And that is, as I'm invited to speak around at different churches or church camps or, or different events, and they have a speaker fee, a supply fee, or when we conduct weddings and funerals and there's always this, this offer to give money, my principle is that I'll never take it. Never take it. Don't want it. Don't need your money. Don't, don't want it at all. Because it is such a privilege to do gospel work. I don't need that. I do not need that at all. Now, on some occasions, it is unavoidable. It gets into uh, my hands in some way. And what we do, because it's come to us or because it's such a great offence that we don't take it, we just give it away. We would commit to giving to one of our missionaries that we support or we just give it to Barnabas Fund or it just goes back into the plate. This is our principle to make sure that we're like Paul, completely transparent. You see, it's so easy for gospel workers to fail. But Paul here showing his conviction stacks up. Paul always above reproach. But now he's opening up his life to us more. Scrutinize him. What about now his conduct? We know his conviction stacks up. What about his conduct as a Christian? His life with them? Well, just as Paul's convictions were shaped by the gospel, so was his conduct. And they would have seen that. They lived with him. And so now Paul reminds them. He reminds them of his conduct. He says, I was like a mother to you. A mother, loving mother, gentle and kind to you. He was reminding them his life was consistent with what he believed. Look at verse 6, the second part. 6 to 8. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. You see, the language there is like, a, like that of a nursing mother. It is that type of tender, loving care that Paul had for them. And then verse 8. We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. And verse 9, surely remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. And so let's ask the question, did Paul's life stack up? Was it worthy of God? Well, you can tell he was for real. He didn't just come to them, speak to them, here's the gospel and go on your way. No, he shared his life with them. He was transformed himself, and he wanted them transformed. He loved them dearly, cherished them, treated them like his own very children. He wanted to just give and give and give and give and never receive, just like a mother. And so I think you can sort of work out the mature Christians by how much they love, by how they love how willingly and joyfully they commit their lives to others in love. And personally, Yvonne and myself, we, we've experienced this throughout our Christian walk. When we were youth, only teenagers, this was decades ago, 
It was our youth leaders who cared for us, who took us to the movies, who, who taught us, who, who had fun with us. And then when we got married, it was our Christian friends who helped us move in to our first home. They, they served at our wedding so joyfully. And then when we got our first home, it was our Christian friends who helped us shift all the stuff in. They even helped us build all our IKEA furniture. That's all we could afford at that time. And that's all we could afford still anyway. But, but they <laughs> helped us assemble all those things. When Ethan was born, this was while we were up in Sydney studying. We had no family around. Our family were, were, were all down here in Melbourne. But without anyone around, it was our church family up there who came around and cared for us and brought meals around. And then when we moved into our current place, it was many of you, our church family here, who cared for us, who helped us carry boxes and furniture and build IKEA furniture as well, helped us with our garden. Man, that was a big task. We had a working bee, and many of you came and broke your backs for us. We really appreciate that. And laid turf for us. And even one of our elders, Barry, oh, I love you, Barry, he planted these plants for us and just... Just so you know, they're still living. Someone's worrying. I don't know who, but they're still living. <laughs> so we've experienced this. We've experienced love, not just with words, but with your life. And likewise, Yvonne and myself, we've been here for a few years, but we try hard to do the same thing, to love not just with our words, not just to speak and speak and speak, but to invest our life, that this is our life, that this is our family, celebrating joys with you, bearing burdens with you. Loving with not just words, but with our whole life. And that was the life of the Apostle Paul. His conduct was shaped by the gospel, like a loving mother nursing them. But then more than that, he was also like a father to them, setting before them a godly example, encouraging them that they too might live lives worthy of God. And so we see that, verses 10 to 12. He says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives, or, or more literally, to walk in a way worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You see, the Apostle Paul set up for them an example for them to follow. And so as I was thinking about this sermon this past week, what is it, I thought to myself, that I want from my own kids as a father? Now, I've shared with my kids many times what my deepest, biggest desire for them is. And so once in a while, I would test them to see if they would remember and the question I would ask them to test them is this. I would do it either on our daddy dates that we'll have once in a while or when we're just in the car together. I would ask, what is it that Baba, Baba is just daddy in Chinese. What, I, I mix Chinese and English. My Chinese is hopeless. That's all I can say in Chinese. Anyway, what is it that Baba wants from you when you grow up? I'll ask these of my boys. What type of man, Caleb, Ethan, do I want you to be when you grow up? Now, one time Caleb said, he, he knew the answer, he said, well, to be a manly man and a godly man. What do you think of that answer? I was pretty happy with that. 
I was pretty happy. He got it almost right. I said, no, godly man first, and then be a manly man, but godly man first. I want him to live a life worthy of God, whatever he's doing in life, whatever he studies in life, whatever job he gets, whatever, wherever he lives, deep down my biggest desire for my kids is that they will live lives worthy of God. And that's what Paul wanted from this church. Maybe not the manly bit, but what he wants was for them to walk in a way that is worthy of God. Walk in a way where both their convictions and their, their conduct is shaped, motivated, saturated by the gospel. And so we see in this passage, Paul's life, he allowed himself to be scrutinized by the church, but it stacked up. It was worthy of God. But now, the frightening question. What about us? What about us here individually? Are our lives worthy of God? It's a scary question to ask. Worthy of God, of course, not for salvation. We know salvation is not about what we can do or earn. It's all about what Christ has done for us. But in response to our salvation, we need to ask, are our lives worthy of God? It is worth us doing this sort of self-assessment once in a while. Now, I won't be following you home to observe and watch you, nor will you do that to me. But we need to do this before God, before our Lord, knowing that we can hide nothing from God. And so when I was reflecting on this, I mean, this passage is about the apostle, a pastor, a teacher, a minister of the gospel. And so as I was reflecting on this, a lot of these words were directly applicable to me. Those who have been entrusted to care for the flock of God. This passage has been described as one of the richest descriptions of the work of a Christian minister to be found in the New Testament. And so this passage, you can perhaps understand, is very personally challenging to me. Is my life anywhere close to Paul? Does my life as a minister, as a pastor, stack up? to the life that God has called me to? Is it worthy of God? Are my convictions and conduct amongst his people shaped by the gospel? And so you can sense perhaps how piercing this passage is to my own heart. Now it's been suggested, not by anyone here, but that ministers should get performance reviews. Have you heard of that before? Ministers, we should give them a, a performance review. You know, just like you would in your own jobs, annual reviews, annual performance reviews, KPIs, targets. Perhaps ministers should get that too so that they'll never become too comfortable nor too complacent. But the reality is that as Christians and even as, as a pastor, our life is always on display, isn't it? Always on display. Does it stack up to the core of the gospel? Is it worthy of God? And so my word to you as the church family is that if my life does not stack up to the cause of the gospel, is not worthy of God, then it is up to you to tell me. Have that permission to tell me. Where I stray, you need to bring me back. Where I walk down the wrong path, you need to call me back. And so 
let me say a few words to encourage you for my good, really, and really for the good of this church and for the glory of God. If you ever feel that my convictions are not shaped by the gospel in any way, you have to speak up. You have to tell me. If you ever feel that my conduct amongst you is not shaped by the gospel in any way, like it was for Paul, I know I have my blind spot. Well, it's up to you to tell me. You see, I, like you, we sit under God. We sit under the word of God. You see, if it's important enough for the kingdom, then it is important enough to speak up about it. And the reality is that, just like Paul was like a father to that church, many of you, in fact, behave like fathers to me, as older, spiritual, wiser men who keep me on track. And so, is my life worthy of God? You need to keep me accountable. But then the flip side is also true. And that's why I've been given the privilege of this task to make sure that your life too is worthy of God. Not for my benefit, but really for your benefit and for the glory of God. And it is our job too to keep each other's life in check so that our lives, everyone here, would live a life worthy of God. And so are your convictions and your conduct, are they consistent? Are they saturated by the gospel? Are they shaped by the gospel? Are they so reformed by the gospel that it is like the air you breathe? I mean, if it is, then you will share Christ. You'll proclaim Christ, even if it costs you. You'll invest and commit to the things of God. You'll invest and commit to the kingdom of God, the things of this church, the things of God, the things of heaven, even if it means... Less time to yourself. Even if it means a thinner and lighter bank account. Even if it means being a little bit more tired because you want to serve more. And let me say, it's wonderful that I do see this. Many lives so worthy of God, so shaped by the gospel. Recently, Yvonne and myself, we've seen this more and more how many, many, many wonderful saints that God has blessed us with, how God is growing us here. There are so many, and I'm always very encouraged when we hear of prayer warriors, the, the elderly amongst us, praying day in, day out, praying for us, praying for this church, prayer warriors, such joy to see. And many of you would not know about this, but a group of our young youth leaders, Saturday morning, Early morning when, you know, young guys should be sleeping in. They wake up, they go to Surrey Park, and they meet to pray for our youth in this church, for their salvation, that they would grow in Christ. I mean, they did that off their own bat, their initiative. I did not tell them to do this. Yesterday, they prayed for the year nine girls in our church, and they're making their way through the different names. I mean, doesn't that bring you great joy? that these are the people amongst us, that God is working and raising up young men and women like this amongst us, he should encourage us and remind us, really, this church is in good hands if God is doing this amongst us. And, of course, we've seen how so many are so selfless, sacrificial, working so hard as saints amongst us, and so beautiful to see many serving with 
without any acknowledgement at all. Many serving so humbly, so faithfully, never seeking the praise of men, but only of God. That's so encouraging to see. But what we can say, and what we must ask, of all of us, of ourselves, are my convictions and my conduct so shaped, so reformed, so saturated by the gospel? It is us before God that we can say, like Paul, we are working hard, like him, loving the church, loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would give not just our words, but our lives to each other. Now, giving words is easy. Just speaking is easy. We can all do that. But giving lives to each other, so intentional that the walk of every member here, everyone who walks through this door, will live a life worthy of God. And so that means I will pray with you. I will meet up with you. I'll read the Bible with you. I'll visit you. I'll bring a meal around to you. And it's not just you to me or me to you, but us to each other, keeping each other in check. I will love and invest so that we will all walk a life worthy of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, is my conviction, is my conduct consistent, shaped by the gospel? Because if it is not... Now, I don't know how to say this as gently as possible. It is a frightening question, but if it is not, then it really is not good enough. Not, not that it's not good enough for me. You know, that's not the issue. But it is not good enough for Jesus Christ who bled on the cross for you. It is not good enough for him. And so are our convictions and conduct so shaped, so reformed, so saturated by the gospel? Because imagine if that were true for every one of us. With the help of God and each other, that our convictions and conduct are so shaped by the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul, what a difference it would make in the life of our church. What a difference it would make in the life of this city, this dark city that so desperately needs to hear the gospel of hope that we all have. And what a difference we can make in this desperate world and what glory that will all bring to God. And so the difficult question, is your life a life worthy of God? Well, for the sake of Christ, let's work hard, but let's pray that this is so. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we can never thank you enough for your Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us, that our life might be redeemed and changed and renewed so that we might live lives that might indeed be worthy of God. And so we pray that this life we live, we will live out in worship of our King. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King and Saviour. Amen.